0: Alive and Kicking
1: with Claire McKenna
0: on News Talk.
1: You can email the show alive and at or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire's Lair. Coming up this morning, Dr. Christian Bouche on his book Connect the Dots: The Art and Science of Creating Look. And I'll be joined by pediatric nurse Linda Quigley, sleep expert Heather Dent, and baby massage instructor Melissa Curtis to find out what it's like to work with babies. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, this was a good week. I did loads of things I really enjoyed. And after my confession last week of dragging myself through certain situations, be it a work or even social occasion, I've caught myself lately, maybe as life is getting busy again, sort of looking ahead with a sense of dread and... Where will I get the energy? And I've reminded myself that it's work I chose um, and that I love and going to meet friends or family is a joy and a gift that I should be grateful for. So, The mindset shifted this week and I have been embracing life fully and we had the Alive and Kicking hike last week, the first of many events, I hope, and it couldn't have gone better, I have to say. Thank you to everyone who came along on the day. We had Owen Hamilton from The Hiker App and Elaine from Shulin, who I am so grateful that they came along and and helped out and we went hiking in Wicklow. In a gorgeous spot I would recommend called Ballina Stowe. The sun shone, the people were amazing. There was lovely mingling among the group and I just loved it. Again, the anticipation for me was immense. I didn't really sleep the night before with the worry that I'd missed the alarm, but it couldn't have gone better. I loved every second of it and I'm pretty much still buzzing about it, as I'm sure you can hear. We hiked through the most gorgeous scenery for about an hour and a half. We stopped for lunch and then hiked our way back. So thank you as well to everyone who registered. We had to limit numbers as safety was paramount and also it made for a nice close group, but there will be more. So you might email me with what you would like to do next. On my list, I have forest bathing, sea swimming, sunrise or sunset, outdoor yoga, sound bath, meditation, There's so many gorgeous places around the country that I'd like to get to over the summer and into the autumn. So let me know. And likewise, if you're a health and wellness practitioner or you know of somewhere close to you that could work for a hike or any of what I just mentioned, do get in touch and suggest it as I want to get out of Dublin and around this beautiful country of ours. You can email the show newstalk.com. Now, many of us believe that the great turning points and opportunities in our lives happen by chance, that they're out of our control. And often we think that successful people and successful companies and organisations are simply luckier than the best of us. Good fortune or serendipity just seems to happen to them. In his book, Connect the Dots, Christian Bouche explains that serendipity isn't about luck in the sense of simple randomness. And he joins me on the line now. Hello, Christian. How are
2: you? Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here.
1: Congratulations on your gorgeous yeah. book. I really, really enjoyed it. It's a real labour of love. There's a serious amount of work went into it. Um, I know you worked on it for over a decade and there's a lot of, of you in it. So can I ask you before we get into it, what the definition of serendipity is?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Usually when we think about You know, luck, we think about something that just happens to us, Uh, you know, being born into a nice family, things like this. But serendipity really is smart luck. It's the luck we create ourselves. Uh, You know, to give you an example, if you have erratic hand movements like I do, you spill a lot of coffee. And so imagine you spill coffee in a coffee shop over someone and they look at you slightly annoyedly, but you feel there might be something there. You don't know what it is, you just feel there might be something there. Now you have two options, right? Option number one is you just say, I'm so sorry. You walk outside and you think, ah, what could have happened had I spoken with a person? Option number two, you speak with a person, that person turns out to become the love of your life, your co-founder or your next business partner. The point is our reaction to the unexpected, us connecting the dots in these unexpected moments. That's what creates that serendipity in the end.
1: So could you tell people about the near-death experience you had? Was that the beginning of your interest in this smart look?
2: Well, it's interesting. I mean, so, you know, I used to be that kid in high school. Um, I probably held the unofficial world record of dustbins and trash cans you can knock over on your way to school when you're driving. I had a lot of energy to, to be released. I was kicked out of high school. I had to repeat a year. Uh, and then, you know, uh, that driving style wasn't really helpful. I had that uh, car crash. And uh, I won't forget the policeman who, who came to the scene of, of the car crash. And he was like, oh, my God, he's still alive. And, you know, that idea that I was supposed to be dead that stuck with me. And I asked myself all these weird questions, you know, if I would have died, who would have come to my funeral, who would have actually cared, was it all worth it? And at that point, I only had depressing answers. And so I um, started reading this wonderful book, highly recommended, um, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which is all about the question of how do we find meaning in tough circumstances? And what I realized is what I find meaning in is connecting ideas, connecting people, and, and that spark that comes from it. And so it, it put me on a, on a journey as you know, community builder, entrepreneur, social entrepreneur, and later academia. And what was fascinating on this journey was that the most successful purpose-driven people, they seem to have something in common, which is that they somehow intuitively cultivate serendipity. They somehow turn the unexpected into positive outcomes, even if in the moment it feels like a crisis. And so that's what why I got so so fascinated about the topic.
1: And what I, when I said there's lots of you in the book, there's lots of personal anecdotes, like your description of your time as a teenager, like that, that crash, and there was a friend of yours who was supposed to get in the passenger seat beside you, but he had left his jacket in the other car, so he went and got in there. And it's all these little things along the way, like we're pinballs almost going around in a machine, and, and and whatever one you hit determines what it does next. But as you say, this is about kind of harnessing that a little bit rather than just allowing yourself to be thrown around.
2: Exactly. And, and I think that's what the fascinating thing is when you think back in life. And, you know, I work a lot with people who in their respective areas are, are doing pretty interesting things. And when they look back on their lives, they've always had inflection points, right? So moments of crisis, like a car crash, a near-death experience, losing someone. And then the question was, you know, do you let the situation define you or do you try to define the situation? And, and I think I've always been fascinated by this. And, and that's what one, one of the key ideas behind this content also to say, you know what, there's, there's a lot of things we can't control. We can't control unexpected moments. We can't control the situation itself a lot of times, but we can always control our situation to it, uh, sorry, our response to it. And so that's what I got really fascinated by. And, and I think, you know, in my own life, I mean, since I can think of um, in my early days as community builder and later on, serendipity to me has become a daily practice and and, and in a way, A a, a philosophy of life because it's just this joy and that meaning that comes from these moments and you know we we talked a lot about uh, kind of how this can come out of crisis but I think for a lot of us it also really comes out of you know opening our mind to it and, and having more of it because we we take another street to work and see in the bookstore oh my god there's a book that could be a podcast idea those kind of things where it's about our opening our mind to the positively unexpected
1: There is a real interest in manifesting at the moment. That's quite a a buzzword. And this idea that we can have some sort of control over our destiny or at least be in the right headspace. And as I mentioned, you've spent over 10 years researching this book. Have you noticed a change in the conversation where it used to be sort of the secret of the power of positive thinking, like all you had to do was think these things and they would happen? And that it's moved on a little bit to being more of a, personal development approach and and, and an everyday habit
2: absolutely and and I think you know you you hit the nail on the head there in terms of I think you know quote-unquote back in the days I think a lot of work was around the kind of more the things we want to believe in right which is beautiful like the kind of meaningful coincidences and and how you in a way can try to somehow, you know, have good things come to you. And, and that seemed a bit elusive. It's beautiful, but it's it's elusive a lot of times. Versus I think the last years have been a lot around what is the science-based framework for, for those kind of questions? Are there things we can understand, for example, in terms of how we can set ourselves a North Star or some kind of, you know, goal or whatever it is that helps us then to connect the dots towards, right? So if I, um, you know, would uh, have the idea that, hey, in... 10 years I would love to live in the countryside and I would love to build a house there. Um, I can, I can, you know, try to visualize this in in my mind and then be more open to, Hey, great. Like someone just told me about, there's an opportunity to buy a house there. Coincidentally at a conference, it's more likely that I can connect the dots when I have that kind of North star. But at the same time, I think it's this beauty of saying, and, and to me, to be honest, this was one of the biggest changes. I grew up in Germany where, you know, we love planning. We love mapping things out. We love, kind of having a very concrete idea of where we're going, and then real life happens and you get anxious, right? You're like, oh, my God, like nobody told me. And 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 what I found fascinating is with this idea that you can build a muscle for the unexpected, what you're doing is you're trying to plan as much as you can. You're saying, hey, I have a key curiosity here or some kind of goal or whatever it is, but I'm also open to the unexpected. And I will never forget one of my key mentors, he, he used that beautiful phrase always. He would say, Christian, people like you always think, you you know, there's only one way to roam the, the city, Uh, But but then you realize you don't even want to be in Rome.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just that openness, isn't it? And can you explain to people the concept of connecting the dots and and what that means, why that became the the name of the book?
2: Yeah, that's really rooted in the idea that once you look at serendipity not as this kind of passive thing that just happens to us, like blind luck does, but really as a kind of process of, of seeing something in the unexpected, and then connecting the dots so connecting it to something meaningful, then actually we can influence it. We can create more of those potential dots, and we can definitely talk about how we can create more of me- these meaningful coincidences, but also then we can connect them better. And so to give an example, um, you know, uh, one of my favorites is the potato washing machine. The potato washing machine a couple of years ago, a company in China, they received calls from farmers. And the farmers told them uh, you know, the, the washing machine that they used of that company would break down. And so they asked, well, why is it breaking down? Well, we're trying to wash our potatoes in it and it doesn't seem to work. So, you know, our usual way of thinking would be, oh, let's educate them to not wash their potatoes. That's not part of our plan. Our plan is that people wash their clothes in the washing machine. They did the opposite. They said, you know what? That's unexpected. That's an unexpected serendipity trigger in a way. But there's probably a lot of farmers in the world who have a similar problem. So why don't we build in a dirt filter and make it a potato washing machine? And so what happened in this moment is that they saw something in the unexpected moment and then they connected it to something meaningful. And that's a lot of times why we say that serendipity is about making accidents meaningful because something might go wrong. But if we connect that to something meaningful, like in you know the cases of Viagra and everything else, then actually turns into something positive.
1: And you talk a lot in the book about the serendipity mindset and and, and that openness. And, and a lot of it, I suppose, is the neuroplasticity around believing in opportunity and that things can happen rather than they can't. And some examples that I loved was the guy who was stuck in London around the time of the volcanic ash. So instead of just going back to his hotel room and scrolling and, and watching TV, he, he planned a whole um, a whole TED Talk event uh, and made contacts in a city where he had no contacts. Um, likewise, you, you mentioned another guy who was working out in his hotel gym and he met Vladimir Klischko, who had been a hero of his, but instead of just continuing on the elliptical or whatever he was doing and thinking, I couldn't go up to him, he went and got his phone, engaged in conversation and ended up getting him to write the foreword for his book. So I suppose it's about believing in yourself and believing in opportunity and grabbing it.
2: Yeah, it's such a big part of it. And, you know, there's a couple of experiments um, that, that I found fascinating in that regard. And uh, one of my favorites is 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 around, um, you know, if listeners, um, I, I'd love to, to ask you if, if you consider yourself to be lucky or unlucky. And and, and I'll tell you in a second why, why I'm asking this. Um, uh, because, you know, obviously, we, we are, you know, the luck of the Irish is always uh, beautiful in itself. We, we've been very inspired by that. But um, but to your point, Claire, I think what's fascinating is that when we think about how we can develop that mind, one, is, one big aspect, of course, is around this whole idea of what's holding us back, right? Do we have some kind of fear of rejection, imposter syndrome? I mean, I've had that a lot. And, and then you might have that unexpected idea at the meeting, but you don't bring it up. Or you might see that potential moment, but you're not acting on it. And so that's a lot about, you know, how do I train myself to become Kind of more comfortable with rejection in my case for example what i found very useful is to think about you know what's the worst thing that can happen and i always thought the worst thing that can happen is um, that kind of sting of rejection right of the conference speaker who says i don't have time for you or the love interest that says oh i'm sorry i'm really not interested but then i realized no the worst thing that can happen is the moment when you walk outside and you think ah what could have happened because that stays and that kind of consumes energy so I think there, there's definitely this, this big piece around it. And then at the same time, I feel there's this huge piece around the openness and the alertness to the unexpected. And, you know, this experiment why I asked earlier if people who listened uh, to, to, it, uh, to to this show um, uh, consider themselves to be lucky or unlucky is that in this experiment, they pick people who consider themselves to be lucky. So people who say good things tend to happen to me and, and so on. And then people who consider themselves to be very unlucky. So, people who say, bad things tend to happen to me, I'm always in an accidents, and so on. And they pick one of each and they say, go down the street, uh, you know, go into the coffee shop, grab a coffee, sit down, and then we'll have our conversation. What they don't tell them is that there's hidden cameras along the street and inside the coffee shop. There's a five pound note, so money right in front of the coffee shop. And inside the coffee shop, there's one empty table next to this extremely successful businessman who can make big ideas happen. Now, the lucky person walks down the street, sees the five pound note, picks it up, goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman. They have a conversation, exchange business cards, potentially an opportunity coming out of it. We don't know that part. Now, the unlucky person walks down the street, steps over the five pound note, so doesn't see it, goes inside the shop, orders the coffee, sits next to the businessman, ignores the businessman, and that's it. And, you know, now at the end of the day, they ask both people, how was your day today?" And so the lucky person says, well, it was amazing. I found money in the street, made a new friend, and, you know, potentially an opportunity coming out of it. The unlucky person just says, well, nothing really happened. And we all have those people in our lives, right, who face exactly the same situation, but one seems to be a little bit luckier than the other. And that's what I'm curious about. What is it about those moments, you know, to open your eyes to it? I find a lot of money in the street, unfortunately, mostly pennies. So that's um, a bit of a problem. But once you open your eyes to it, you will find them more often.
1: And you described yourself in the book as an introvert, so you don't necessarily have to be an extrovert to harness this
2: power. That's absolutely correct. I mean, as we saw in this experiment, um, it's sometimes easier for extroverts, right, to have that conversation with a businessman that could lead to this opportunity, things like this. But you know, there's a lot of hope for for closet introverts like like myself who, you know, in a world that's designed for extroverts, right? Every conference, everything's always designed for extroverts, but actually there's a lot of kind of calm, quiet sources for serendipity. Like, you know, that kind of book where we realize, oh, my God, this could be uh, a new company or, um, you know, the, the kind of watching a movie and thinking, oh, my God, hey, this could be a new product and, and things like this. Um, but also, you know, I've, I've increasingly um, found it fascinating the question of how can we collaborate with extroverts to leverage their kind of love of, of being out there. And, and so one way that I've always found um, very useful to do is, is to, um, you know, when we have an idea or something, we want people to know about it, uh, to always go first to the person who is the kind of multiplier, the person who knows a lot of people. So, for example, at an event, I try to go to the host and tell them about the idea or the book. And then they are the ones who tell others about it. And so it's kind of really trying to figure out how can extroverts do a bit of the work that that I don't enjoy that much, but at the same time also me constantly working on how can I put myself out there? And and one strategy that I found extremely, extremely helpful there is the hook strategy, because it's really kind of saying, actually, like for an introvert, it's harder to have those kind of conversations, but how can we make them more meaningful then? How can we make them more joyful and, and so on? And the hook strategy is all about saying, Think about two or three things that you're curious about, interested in, that you want to put out there. So, you know, hey, I want to bring X, Y, Z mindset into more schools and and universities, things like that. And then build that into every conversation. And there's an amazing entrepreneur in London, Oli Barrett, who does that really well. If you would ask him this dreaded, what do you do question, right, that puts people into boxes and, and that's that, he would not just say, I'm a technology entrepreneur. He would say, I'm a technology entrepreneur recently started reading into the philosophy of science. But what I'm really excited about is playing the piano. And so what he's doing here is he's giving you three potential hooks, three potential dots where you could be like, oh my God, such a coincidence. I just started hosting piano sessions. You should stop by. Oh my God, such a coincidence. My sister is teaching on the philosophy of science. You should give a guest lecture. The point is we can all see those dots so that other people can connect them for us.
1: Well, the book is called Connect the Dots, The Art and Science of Creating Good Luck. Dr. Christian Bush, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Now, I love having a panel on the show and today we have three ladies, as it happens, whose careers all centre around babies. We have paediatric nurse Linda Quigley, sleep expert Heather Dent and baby massage and yoga instructor Melissa Curtis. Well, you're all very welcome.
3: Thank you, Claire. Thank
1: you. Linda, can I start with you? When you started in nursing, did you know you were going to go the paediatric route?
0: I actually did from a very young age and... um, but I decided to do general first, just to mature a bit as well as everything else. So I did that in the UK, came back and then did my postgrad and have been in it ever since 23 years later. So I think I'm very lucky to be able to say I still love what I do. And um, yeah, every day is a is still a school day for me when I go in and out to work, but um You know, it's a joy uh, of a profession and I worked in all areas, but um, babies and smallies are what I love most, I have to say.
1: (laughs) And was that just what it was that attracted you to it, that there were going to be babies and smallies involved? Because, yes, there's the the, the cute element of it, but that's a really tough time to be... With families, sometimes you're going to be in very tough situations with very sick children.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you don't ever get used to it. I'd never say that, but you learn how to deal with it. Um, And I suppose being a mum myself and over the years of experience, I just have learned, I suppose, how to empower parents and involve them in their baby and child's care. So... I would ne- like. I mean, the main thing in pediatric nursing for me is trust. So you have to get your parent to trust you and your smallie. So that I mean, when you're talking about a newborn baby, it's all about you know building up a bit of trust with the parent because this is their newborn baby. And then as the ba- baby turns into a toddler, it's all about getting them to trust you. So your your language is going to be very different with a one and a half year old to a fourteen year old, even though you might be carrying out the same task. So I'm either singing a song to one and a half year old while I'm carrying out, you know, something or a 14 year old to be very much, tell me to stop if it's hurting you and we'll, you know, put on a bit more spray or we'll do whatever. So you're engaging the whole time. Um, and yeah, some days are really tough, but, you know, you have to have it in the back of your mind that most babies and children in this country that go into hospital come out better. Because if you don't, you know, you just wouldn't have the joy that I feel. And I'm very lucky to be able to say that. And my three kids are generally very well. So I always have that in the back of my mind as well, that I'm very lucky. So you can kind of just relate. You do your best, I suppose, to relate to the parent there in the room at that specific time.
1: And kids are incredibly resilient, aren't they? I mean, they take treatment on the chin. They bounce back from all kinds of situations really, really well, because they don't have that kind of... drag themselves through life that we end up getting later in life. And they don't
0: think about it. So, you know, you'll always know if a baby or child is getting better because like that, their personality comes back. So if they're feeling better in themselves, they're bouncing off, well, they're not bouncing off the walls, but, you know, they're starting to get excited again and, you know, they'll eat and they'll drink. They don't have time to think about, oh, was that a pain or is that sore? You know, so you'll always take them physically the way they are as well as obviously what they're being treated for and with um, whether it's time for discharge or not so um, but yeah they're amazing and that's why I think it makes it so lovely to work with them because uh, they're just brilliant like the minute they feel better the smile is back on their face you know and um, yeah it's I, I just love it.
1: And what are some of the most common ailments? Let's focus on babies then because mm. we can't go all the way through to, to 18 and, and babies is what we're focusing on here. Yeah. What would be some of the common ailments that you so would see? So I
0: suppose talking through that from what I get on my Instagram page is, you know, what I can kind of say here. Um, so colic would be one. And I mean, that can be a really testing time for a parent as well as the family and the household that are dealing with the baby. Um. My middle fella had it and I still remember it so well. So, I mean, there's lots of things that you can do and try to help relieve colic, but I suppose... We're very lucky with science that things are developing over the counter wise as well. So there is actually a lovely Irish product called Collie Care. It starts with K instead of a C and it's 100% natural. And the idea is that it's going to ease that discomfort as well as reduce crying time. And it does actually work. So, you know, if I had had that, I suppose I would have given it a go. Um. So that's the first one. The second one would be to me would be oral thrush or, you know, uh, around their bum area, they can get thrush as well, and often new parents don't know what to look for, and um, when it comes to thrush, because even if it's their first baby or their fifth baby, it might be their first experience of it. So I suppose one tip for me for to to give listeners would be have a look in their mouth, look on the side up up in the roof of their mouth when they're crying underneath their bottom lip and if you see red patches or white spots that aren't going they don't obviously look straight after a feed because that can be milk whether it's breast or bottle but one way of looking would be wash your hands get a clean tissue or a face cloth pop it on and try and rub gently it off if it doesn't come off it's more than likely it could be thrush so at that point don't feel oh gosh what will I do A, go to the pharmacy and they may be able to give you something or B, go to the GP. You're never wasting anybody's time. And I think, you know, COVID has really made us all stop and think, oh, should I go to the GP with that? Should I? Absolutely. This is your child. And if you're worried about them, go, you know, and it's the same about their bum area. If it's red and raw with little white spots on it and it's not disappearing with the nappy cream that you're using, go and bring them. And yeah, you might we don't need... want to
1: be judged as like over concerned parents, but there is no such thing as wasting a medical professional's no, time. Go I... and have something ruled out for sure. I think that's really, really good advice. Melissa, can I bring you in um, before we even get into your work as a um, uh, baby massage therapist and you also work with pregnancy yoga? I want to bring you in because you've actually been that parent, haven't you? Oh, I
3: kept nodding my head there with everything Linda was saying. Yeah, that's actually how I got into baby massage was my son, um, who's now 13, um, had colic. I mean, if he was awake, he pretty much cried. And I remember going to my first baby massage class and it didn't magic away the colic, but it was the first time that I kind of looked at him in a different way. I connected to him. So for me, that was... That was the biggest benefit out of that. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And that's why I went on to train to be a baby massage therapist. But um, we had thrush. <laughs> he seemed to get everything, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, colic for me was um my firstborn was born with a congenital heart defect. And that was obviously really hard. And paediatric nurses are just absolute angels. I, I can't say enough about them. Um, but the colic drove me to the edge like the edge and I'm Mm. sure a lot of parents out there listening will be nodding their head because it really is relentless and some babies you know might have it for a couple of days a couple of weeks we had it from 11 days old until he was I'll remember it was the night before the leaving cert started he was born in January and I'll never forget So
1: that's all the way to the summer
3: yeah Mm. yes Uh, like it was really really hard and every little bit helped um, but like that, hearing that Irish product, I was like, "I wish I had that," you know, because um, it was because they're was, in
1: discomfort, basically, aren't they? It's their digestive yeah, system, yeah, and yeah, so they can't lie down. Yeah, they can't he was definitely properly.
3: having a hard time. I do feel as well that he got into the habit of crying. It was like that's all he knew, because he started at eleven days old, and it was almost like you could time then as it got less and less. You could almost set an alarm clock. It was just, it was really interesting. Um, not at the time, it was stressful.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
3: now when I'm on the other side.
1: And you feel helpless, whereas you say the baby massage gave yes. you the yeah. idea that you could do something I to could ease do discomfort. To help.
3: Oh, listen, the, there's, a, there's like a wind relieving routine that just became part of my routine. Like I would do it almost, you know, anytime I could. and um, it didn't suddenly the next day the colic wasn't gone, but it helped him release that wind or if there was something it helped me get on top of his digestive system so that the nighttime which is I did notice just a little bit better. But I think for me, Bonding was extremely hard with him, like extremely hard. And I, I think I was I was just so disheartened because we'd had such a tough time with my first. And I thought, this is, you know, going to do everything with this baby. I couldn't go anywhere with him. It was really hard. But I remember it was the first time I probably looked at him other than trying to stop him crying. You know, he was on and off feeding all the time. There's always issues. You know, there was just constantly something going on with him. And I think the baby massage helped relax me as well. It wasn't just him getting the benefit. It was me getting the benefit too. I mean, a massive difference once I took that first class and I was pretty much hooked then after. And I went, I was already working, you know, with pregnant um women and their families already teaching yoga so I thought wow this would be the most incredible addition to everything that I do as well and I absolutely love it like really really love it I still it's how I get my baby fix
1: as well <laughs> yeah because it's such a special time isn't it's it it's really You're special from yeah yeah the pregnancy yoga full disclosure I've been to <laughs> Melissa's classes I would have strapped on a fake bump just to get in there it's a very peaceful place then you do birthing workshops yeah. and now you're involved in the baby side of yes. things. So are you keeping an eye on parents as well to see how are they getting yes. on? How are they feeling? Because as you, you're you pointing out, it's not always this incredible, amazing journey 24-7. No, not at all. And I mean,
3: but you can add little things to make it
1: special and...
3: Just speaking about colic, I get a lot of parents, whether it's yoga or baby massage, contacting me going, I'm just so nervous booking because I'm afraid they're going to cry the whole time. And I'm like, well, then you're coming to the right place because we're not expecting it to be quiet. You know, people might have taken my um, pregnancy yoga and thought, you know, you got the nice blankets and the music and the dimmed lights. I'm like, it's a whole different ballgame now. And the baby or babies, you know, I've had twins, I've had triplets come to class and um it's a very different experience but I always say, you know, don't worry if your baby's crying because everyone else is just so relieved it's not theirs, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That, you know, we completely welcome and and at the beginning of my classes I say every week is going to be different that you come, you might get something in, you might get it all in. And I, what I like to make is the experience for the parents, you know, as enjoyable as well. So sometimes they'll come and baby will want to feed or they're just not in the mood, you know, or they'll they'll fall asleep. But I really try and nurture the parents as well. You know, I always make sure they're comfortable and we have a chat, you know, and they can ask questions. Or she brings cake. I make my cake. own cake. She I make cake. my own cake. Yeah, that's my thing. But it's a
1: network, <laughs> isn't it, that you're totally. making? And everyone's saying, did you sleep last night? Okay, great. Yeah. They didn't. Well, I'm yeah, yeah, fine yeah. too. And that's Yeah,
3: trying to make everyone feel as normal as possible is my my goal, you know, and uh, actually I was thinking about it as I was coming in today, you know, this happens every course, but in the course that I'm running at the moment for baby massage, I have friends together doing the course who really didn't get to see each other during their pregnancy because of COVID and it's so nice for them to connect now. But then I have two women who are on their third and they actually met at their first baby massage sorry, with their first child at my course as well. And they've come back with their second and their third as well. So they actually don't, they they don't tend to see each other that much. But now that they've had their third, they're like, oh, let's do our baby massage again because they met all these years ago. You know, it must have been about five or six years ago. So that's just lovely, you know, just that connection is still there five, six years later.
1: Yeah. I mean it's essential. It really yes, is.
3: It's so important.
1: Heather, I'm gonna bring you in, also known as the lullaby lady. I mean we've had pediatric nurse, we've got cake and massage going on over here, but <laughs> yeah. I reckon you're probably parents' best friends. Because <laughs> you're helping them to get sleep.
4: Yeah, so they say and after the two or four week support packages also it's kinda of hard to break up with the family. They don't want to to let you go. So um yeah the gift of sleep I suppose is very
1: important. And how did you get into all of this?
4: Well, uh, much like Melissa, it was personal experience. So with my eldest daughter nearly six years ago, we used a sleep consultant when she was nine months old and she hadn't slept a longer stretch than about three months. And the experience was so life changing that I decided to um, become a sleep consultant myself and look into how I could train to become one. So um, I went down the route of uh, applying for the Family Sleep Institute, which is um, one of only two postgraduate qualifications in the world um, for sleep consultants and I really wanted to make sure that the qualification I obtained um, was really recognised and unfortunately at the moment on Instagram anyone can call themselves a sleep consultant so it's really important if a parent is looking for a sleep consultant that they are accredited by the International Association of Child Sleep Consultants um, just to make sure that they are in safe hands um, and that they are being given the right information so I wanted to pass on the experience that I had um, when I was so sleep deprived all those years ago and uh, help other families.
1: So when is the right time to start sleep training a baby?
4: Yeah, so this is a really interesting question. And I suppose what you're trying to look to do is be in a situation where you don't have to sleep train a baby. So I would do a lot of newborn consults um, through my newborn support package where I would look at helping parents set healthy sleep foundations and not form those negative sleep associations that lead to a child having to be sleep trained But if you happen to be in the situation, like like many parents are, where your child is five or six months old and they're not sleeping through the night. Now, of course, they might be waking for feeds. That's very normal at that age. But waking every 45 minutes, something that's not sustainable for maybe a mum or dad going back to work or even for the baby to be happy during the day and be fully restored when they wake up. If you find yourself in that situation, around the five month mark is where they're developmentally ready to look at some sleep training. Now I'm not talking about letting a baby cry or leaving a baby cry but supporting them in sleeping better.
1: And is it ever too late? I'm thinking of my sister-in-law being in a car journey with me recently talking yeah. about her two-year-old son waking in the night yeah. demanding Frera Jacka for up to <laughs> two hours at a time. Is yeah. it ever too late to introduce measures? No.
4: So I'm working with children up to six years old and I have a lot of children who are, you know, four, five and six. And I was particularly busy last September with five-year-olds who started in junior infants and they were sleeping so badly at night and they just weren't able for the day, they weren't able to get up, they weren't able to do their work in school. Maybe teachers were commenting on how tired they were. So, no, it's never, never too late. And sometimes, when you get to that point when they're two, three, four, it doesn't just get better, they don't just grow out of it. They need some help, it's it's it has to be learned, it's a skill that needs to be learned. And um, so, I'm absolutely on hand to help with older children. Yes,
1: Linda, can I ask about how the family setup has changed then from when you started? To now, are you seeing a difference in the shape of a family? More single parents, more same sex families, dads taking a bigger role. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the naivety of when I started
0: training back in the 90s to now, it's just so different. And I never, you would never take for granted in paediatrics that any baby or child has a mum and dad. So I always think mum has a name and dad has a name. So I always address whoever is there, whether it's a grandparent, a carer or the parent by their first name. And, you know, because you can come quite familiar with saying, so mum, you have to do this or that, you know what I mean? But they're still you're still a person, like they have their name and it's up to them to, you know, to kind of intervene and say, I know you can call me mum, you know what I mean? So so yeah, very much um, different diversity there and um, and I think even as, as pa- parents ourselves, like myself and my husband, like We've both work like full time and, you know, going back, my parents, my mum was stay at home. Now I'm one of five. She had a lot to do. But, you know, it's just the challenges are totally different. And I think our kids are so busy now that, yeah, it takes, you know, whether it's a parent and a carer or a parent and a grandparent, whoever's willing to help out. Um, and I would say that to new parents as well. Don't ever be afraid to take whatever help is being offered. Take it with two hands. Yeah. Because, you know,
1: it's so important. You don't that be afraid to ask for it. We mm. tend to just struggle mm. on until That's we it. get to yeah. absolute burnout and you were Mm. saying Heather you've also seen uh, a changing face of family and dads playing a different role
4: Absolutely and I find the the families I'm working with the dads are so supportive and I would ask for mum and dad or mum and mum or dad and dad to be on the Zoom consultation all carers involved Um, and as well I'm seeing a a huge rise in triplets and I recently worked with uh, quadruplets, four cats in the same room Mm. so hats off to those set of parents Um, so yeah multiples are really really on the rise as well uh, with families I'm working with.
1: Wow. Are we there yet, Um, Melissa? I mean, we can't really give the dads pregnancy yoga, but (laughs) could they bring the baby to baby massage?
3: Well, just getting back to the yoga, um, I've had many a partner join in an online pregnancy yoga and I am delighted. Now, they haven't been there facing the camera, but I have so many messages from women saying, you know, that their partner took the class and especially if I was focusing on birth. Um, I have sometimes in my mess, like my posts, will say, you know, have your partner join in in the background if they want, because I want them to get you used to them seeing you do all these positions and circles and whatever sound and whatever it is that might that they might be able to help in as well. Um, my mum and baby yoga, I'm tr- I'm very much trained in female anatomy, so I do like to really focus on the body post giving birth. So I have had absolutely I have had, you know, I had uh, two men that had adopted a baby and they said, can we join in? I was like, absolutely. So, you know, I absolutely tailored the class for everybody. But I do like to support women when it comes to pelvic floor health. Um, You know, just regaining strength, connection, all of that. So that's why I do call that mum and baby yoga. But everyone is welcome, of course. Um, But the baby massage, yes, I have. I've had grandparents. I've had carers. I've had, you know, one parent, both parents, whatever, you know. So uh, it's very inclusive.
1: Amazing. And what about then the social media aspect to business? Now, you have a very big following Linda, where you mentioned you give out advice that could cover a multitude. How have you found that addition to your job?
0: Yeah, so um, I set up the page a couple of years ago, I suppose. Uh, well, it was, I suppose, about three years ago. And the name, I still cringe, but it was the Girls and Nights that just came up with it one night and it just stuck. So it's Nurse Elle Styler. But anyway, I just decided, you know, from years of working on the wards and especially night shifts, because you can, you know, some parents are up all night with, you know, a smallie or a baby. Um, yeah, on crazy forums. Yeah. So, and I, you know, you go in to do one, thing and I would come out and the girls would be saying what were you talking to them about and I'd be there for an hour I wouldn't even realise it but just having the chit chats and you know giving a little tip there um, about simple little things so I'm very careful obviously I'm not a medic and I'm very careful in what I say and will always say especially if I get messages with concerns look you need to go and see a GP or you know I'll never but if it's, it's things that I feel I can help with like what I've mentioned already or you know I see a product in the market like a, a new baby sling or something that I think might be really beneficial to a family um, I'll come on and I throw in bits and bobs as well and then mine are too old they won't go on it anymore but (laughs) you know I do throw in about teenage behaviour and stuff like that but yeah so I mean it's just grown and um, I'm not on every day and I'm not on it to be famous I'm just there trying to help people and I really enjoy it Um, and sometimes I suppose because I know it's not my main job I can step away from it and I don't get too consumed with it. And then I'll come back, you know, in a a day. But people laugh and they'll always kind of send me funny faces or whatever because I'd be on the way to work in the car and i think of something. So on my way in, I'll go, now listen, I'm just coming on to say, and that's just the way I am because if I don't do it then, I'll forget to do it later on in the day. So it's a very, I suppose, basic page, but I like to think it's informative and I get a really nice feedback and I seem to have a very
1: loyal following so I suppose that's why I've kept it going Yeah um, and it is we give it such a bad rap and there are negatives to it but then it can be a lovely connection mm, Are you the same Heather? You yeah. can give snippets not full advice obviously Yeah
4: absolutely just echoing what Linda's saying I love the feedback there's a lovely community like booking a sleep consultant is an expensive thing to do so I love to be able to give advice non-medical of course in the DMs chat to people something something can be so easily changed and I can just tell them one thing and their whole night can be transformed by just looking from the outside in. Um, so I, I put a huge amount of effort into it. I probably do post every day, just putting up different routines and trying to give um, information that I know is correct um, and that I know people are going to benefit from. So I, I love it. It's a lovely community. Yeah, yeah.
1: What about you, Melissa? How have you embraced social media? Oh, yeah.
4: Well, I mean, the pandemic, you
3: know, it went from the odd post here and there to like just all the time and I think that was mostly because of the restrictions so although I'm you know just a yoga teacher <laughs> um, I like in the height of it was probably you know back and forth the messages sometimes talking to people because anxiety levels were just so high Mm. and people were very confused about what they could do or not do and um, so the support and the feedback has been amazing and it's been lovely especially with online getting so popular I've had people all over the world take my classes which has just been amazing and how we stay in touch is on social media, you know, so I'm still in touch. I get to see their kids grow and they're sending me little messages. Some of them are back on their second already, you know, or third. So I love the connection. Yeah, I mean, you know, I try and just put up what resonates with me and what I teach. Um, maybe not every day, but it has been hugely helpful and supportive for me, definitely. Yeah, yeah. and it's yeah. that
1: connection, as we said well, ladies, it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you all. Thank you very much. For people to find out more, you can find Melissa Curtis at TummyLove.ie or she's at with Melissa on Facebook and Instagram. Heather Dent is TheLullabyLady.ie or at TheLullabyLady on Instagram. A name I love. You chose that well. Thank you. <laughs> and paediatric nurse Linda Quigley is NurseLStiler on Instagram. Thank you very, very much for coming Thanks, on.
0: Claire. Thank you. Thank you.
1: So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Jojo Cordoza, who was on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week.
4: Alive
0: and Kicking
1: with Claire McKenna
0: on News Talk.